Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. I want to continue to challenge us through Nehemiah. Uh, If you uh, were missing, I wanted to let you know, um, uh, we last week started today's uh, sermon because it was one of those that was like, I don't want to skim through this because this is really important stuff. When it comes to what a leader is and how a leader acts, it's important for us, even if you say, well, I'm not a leader. I don't believe you. I believe all of you are given a position of influence somewhere, and you have the ability to leverage that, to use that, to change people's minds. And so don't say, I'm not a leader. I believe you probably are. Now, uh, I want to get into part two of our master class on leadership out of Nehemiah here in a second. Um, a couple of years ago, I've mentioned that, uh, you know, I have not been a lot or a, really a reader most of my life. Uh, and so it was a few years ago, I was like, I got to do a better job at reading books. And one of the things I tried to start doing is reading more classic books that many of you may have read in middle school or high school, but I went to a small Christian school in West Virginia, and they didn't make us read. Uh, They just didn't. It was nothing interesting that we had to read there. And so one of the books, one of the first ones that I grabbed was one, I always remembered my brother talking about this and watching a cartoon version of it, but it was called Animal Farm by by, uh, George Orwell. Um, Interesting book. Interesting book. Uh, If you don't know the context of this, this was an allegory that George Orwell wrote to explain the Bolshevik Revolution uh, over in Russia and and Joseph Stalin and so on. You see all these people in this in the form of animals. Uh, If you know anything about the story, here's the quick, quick, quick Dan Albin version of it. Uh, You have animals that are fed up with humans leading them and cracking a whip and beating them. So they basically take over. The pigs become the leaders and take over this farm. And they promise to all the people equality and freedom and all these wonderful things. And as the story goes on, things start to change because rules that the pigs had set up, all of a sudden they start compromising. And by the very end of it, all the farm animals make a discovery that the pigs who are in charge are doing exactly what they condemned the humans for. They're living high on the hog, literally, high on the hog, they are doing everything. They can. They're enjoying wine and wearing clothes and sleeping in beds while everyone that they are serving are not given that opportunity. They are actually suffering. Uh, and so there's a, obviously, like I said, there's an allegory about it, and I'm not preaching on communism and all that today. But there is something about that point I made about how the pigs were living in contrast to the people they were leading that is really, really important. I think all of us struggle when we see a leader, whether it's a business leader, politician, you know, whoever, living by one set of rules and enforcing another upon the people that they lead. I think we struggle when we see that they have it so good and they have all the perks and benefits while people they are serving struggle to get by. I had the unfortunate example of working with a ministry at one point in my life when I was in college, 
And uh, one thing I, I remembered that stuck out to me that I always locked in my mind that I didn't want to ever lead this way uh, was that I saw the leaders of this ministry taking their entire family, uh, their, their kids, boyfriends, girlfriends, best friends, all this, out to Aspen for a week to go skiing. And I knew for certain that there were people in this ministry that I was working with who were barely able to, to feed their family living on state assistance because that was the only way they could make it happen. And they'd been serving for like 15, 20 years. And they were never recognized. And I was like, of all places, that should not be happening. And it's not that you can't enjoy what God, if God blesses you with money, great. There's a, it's not a bad thing to enjoy it to a point. But when people underneath you that are, you're leading are beginning to suffer, that's where the wrestle, I think, for some of us is. It doesn't seem right. I bring all this up today because we need to talk about this. What is a good leader to do with their influence, their benefits, and with their mission? And we're going to see this with Nehemiah today. Uh, as I said, I didn't want to skim over this because there's some really, really good stuff in this that I think wherever you serve, even if it's just you're a parent or an aunt or an uncle, I, whatever, you you need to know these and practice these as a believer. Uh, my point last week, as well as this week, because this is part two, is uh, that a good leader is known by their what? The, with, uh, means and ends. I should have told you not to put it up, Barry. I wanted to quiz them. That's all right. Uh, you know, uh, by their means and their ends. How they do things, as well as the end product. If they're a good leader, there should be an end product, whether that's life change in you whether that's in a business, they actually have something to show for it. A good leader is known by their means and their ends. Uh, that's important. And especially the means part, which we saw three of these last week. And I want to do a quick, quick, quick overview. If you weren't here, um, we, we're on YouTube. We're on Spotify with our podcast. If you don't know what Spotify is, no, it's not something on your clothes. It's something you can listen to music and all that on. Uh, we have our podcast and all that. You can catch up with this because it is just that important. We are starved for good leadership in our, in our country. And, and it's awesome for the church to be able to talk about this. Uh, the three things that we looked at last week. Uh, a good leader faces crisis instead of avoiding it. They face things because somebody has to do it. And they will be the ones with fear, with trepidation, to be courageous enough to do it. Something must be done and they do it. Second thing we said was that leaders take risks instead of playing it safe. We saw this last week with Nehemiah because Nehemiah had to confront publicly the rich and the powerful of Jerusalem, the ones that were lording over the people, and the people owed money and were, were selling their kids into slavery to them and all of this, and he had to take them on. And that's risky, because they could have simply said, fine, we don't have to live here anymore, and leave him in the middle of this project of rebuilding the wall. And lastly, leaders defend the fringe instead of the favorites. They're not just looking out for their besties. They're not looking out for all the rich and powerful. Well, well we can't tick them off. You know, they play the political game. Uh, we can't tick them off because they give too much to this project. We can't tick them off because they just have too much sway. Uh, they weren't, he wasn't just looking out for them. He was looking out for those that everyone else didn't even pay attention to. Those that were underprivileged, they had no way to help feed their families and so on. 
These were three things of a good leader. Today we're going to see three more. With the first one, though, I have to jump back into the middle of the conversation from last week. Nehemiah is calling out the rich, the nobles, the powerful, and he's calling them out because of all the things that I had just mentioned. He was, they were lording over the people. People owed them money. They were mortgaging their properties just so they could feed their family, and they were fine with that. But there is a verse that I didn't want to skim over, and it is verse 10. As he is confronting them, Nehemiah 5, verse 10, he says something fascinating. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Hold on a second. Did Nehemiah just say that he was doing the very thing he was calling those people out for? Yeah. You see a confession here. Now, I, I, let's be fair. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him. It's possible Nehemiah was doing this and did not realize how this was affecting the lives of people. There was also something called debt slavery that people could sell themselves into if they owed a great amount of debt. It was, it was legal by the law in Exodus. It was given uh, maybe he was just abiding by that and thought he was following by the law, but he did not realize the consequences that it was having on the lives of people. But whatever the case, he fesses up and says, I and my brothers have been doing this too. Let us all, me included, abandon this exacting of interest on the people. That's a pretty bold confession. I mean, how often do we get that out of a politician? Well, man, we really messed that up. <laughs> wow, do I have egg on my face. I wish we would have that. I wish we would have that. And guess what? I think our country and our life, uh, really our world is starved for people who really do exactly what a good leader does. And that's just that good leaders own up instead of covering up. Nehemiah owned up to his own participation in what was going on and his brother's. And he said, we got to stop this. No more. Even at the tremendous consequence that would be financially, we have to do this. A good leader owns up instead of covering it up. Uh, you know, I was reminded as I was thinking about this this past week, um, we, we make leaders into something that they, they shouldn't be. Sometimes, let's be honest, even in the church, even though we don't follow the pope, we will take religious leaders and put them almost into the position of a pope. As though they can do nothing wrong. But then something comes out, a scandal breaks out. Something else comes out, and we are completely deflated. It reminds me of the movie The Wizard of Oz, you know? Wizard of Oz, you have uh, this, the great and powerful Oz on the screen, okay? Hard to believe, by the way, side note, this is an ADD moment for me. Uh, this movie is almost 100 years old. I, it blows my mind. And some of you were there when it was on screen. I'm kidding. You weren't. I, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, but... You had the great and powerful uh, smoke, fire, all this stuff. And then, as you know, in the story, they discover that the great and power, uh, powerful Oz is just an, a guy behind the curtain. And this is sometimes how we feel when these people that we exalt, be them politicians, be them religious leaders, all of a sudden are revealed to be a human, a flawed human just like us. There is a tremendous need in the church in our world, for authentic 
leaders, real leaders, ones who own up to their flaws, their weaknesses. And I'm going to tell you, it's hard because some of us cannot even imagine doing that because we're afraid we're going to lose face. People aren't going to respect us. I think they respect you more when you are real about your struggles than when you cover them up and then are revealed. You know, imagine some of our political leaders who may want to use Instagram to go back. You know, if Instagram was around back then, what would they be doing to cover up their scandals? Uh, You you know, I had a picture of Abe Lincoln, I think. Yeah, you know, uh, what would he be doing? Uh, You know, if there was something scandalous in his past that he wants the Instagram version seen where a filter goes up and it removes all the blemishes and all of the ugliness. And we know that leaders, even in the church, have PR people that they will pay, and politicians have people that they will pay millions to keep a facade up that they have no problems, that everything's good, until it's not. We need authentic leaders. I have four things. You don't have to write these down. I can post these later. But four reasons. This is stuff I have thought about with this specifically. The importance of why we need leaders who are flawed and open about it. One, they are open about their weaknesses. They'll tell you, I messed up. I got angry. I'm not the best parent all the time. I cheer for the Cowboys. They need to own up about their weaknesses. Sorry, Cowboy fans. Um, But second, here's the thing. People relate to them. Don't miss this. See, when we exalt a person up here that everything they say is right, until they're not. When we do, when we can't relate to that person because they're just so high and above us. When a person admits their flaws and their struggles, they become real. And people begin to say, wow. And that leads to the third thing. They provide a model for what people aspire to be and a guide to how to get there. They begin to say, wow, that person's flawed just like me and they're this tremendous person of influence. Maybe there is hope for me. Maybe I can pull out of this. They did, and they're not perfect. And then lastly, they hold, an authentic leader holds a higher loyalty with their followers because they're one of them. I have seen people that are authentic, real leaders, the ones that follow them will go to battle for them because they're like, they're one of us. They're leading us, but they're one of us. And the loyalty is way stronger than somebody you cannot relate to. Nehemiah was honest. He was open. He didn't try to cover it up. And I think this earns a lot of respect for him. But there's two more things that we're going to take out that a good leader does. Uh, If you skip down, verses 14 to 18, we have a little bit more of his character. Uh, And uh, I'm going to explain one of these in a a second, but there's one in particular I'm going to start with. It it seems like I'm going to be doing the last one first, and I am, just because I can. So, uh, verse 15, it says this. Nehemiah says, the former governors of Jerusalem who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Verse 16, I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for work. 16 is where I want to start first, because the other one I'm going to hop back, because you're going to see it again in a second. Verse 16, he says, I persevered in the work. 
This is an out loud answer here. Does this mean that Nehemiah was also helping to build the wall? Wow. He's in charge of this. Come on. He's supposed to be a manager. He's supposed to have the clipboard and the cup of coffee and walk around looking disgusted all the time like some of my old bosses did. He's not supposed to be doing the work. He, too, was building the wall. He was doing exactly what he was asking all these other people that we've seen in in the past few weeks to do. He could have said, hey, I'm in charge here. You know, if you have any questions, come see me. I'll be in my house. But he didn't. He persevered in it. He set a model. That brings us to the second thing of what good leaders do. Good leaders lead with people instead of isolating. They lead with people, shoulder to shoulder. If they're going to ask a person to clean a toilet, they're going to be cleaning a toilet right alongside of them. Not a flattering job, but an important job. The thing about this leader is that there's nothing below them. And that says a lot. When they're willing to mop a floor and they're a CEO of a company, that speaks a lot of their character. Nehemiah wasn't asking people to do something that he wasn't going to do. He was in it with them, and he led shoulder to shoulder. Now, did that mean that from time to time, Nehemiah had to step out and say, okay, hey, we're going to change things up here, and then we'll get back to work? Yes. A leader from time to time has to step out and lead in a direction. Now, this idea may be controversial to you because sometimes I think some of us have been raised that a leader is always out front of everybody, And they don't really ever come around us, and we just got to keep following after them. And again, that is not a leader I can relate to. Some of my best bosses, some of the best pastors that I I was able to serve under or uh, be under their ministry were ones that I can relate to, ones that weren't afraid to come serve, ones who weren't afraid to talk to me. That is a powerful leader, a leader who leads with people. I heard a story a while back. Um, Many of you might be familiar with John MacArthur, the pastor out of California. Uh, Radio ministry, books. He's some of my favorite commentaries that I use uh, for my preaching. John MacArthur also is a part of Master's Seminary out in California. And I heard a story about him probably now 20 years ago. Master's Seminary at that time uh, was doing their chapel services in kind of like a gym. This is how it used to be at LBC before they got Good Shepherd Chapel. I wish I had that. We actually had to set up chairs and tear them down, okay? We actually had to work for chapel, unlike these, you know, new kids that get to sit in cushy chairs. Um, Anyway, sorry, Tyler. Uh, (laughs) But same thing at Master's Seminary. And there was a person that said that they had seen, after chapel service, John MacArthur, world-known pastor, books galore, was there with his students tearing down chairs in a three-piece suit, putting chairs away with all the rest of the students. And I've never forgotten that because I'm like, that's a good leader. That's a good leader. He's well-known. He doesn't have to do this, but he did it anyway. He led with the people He did what he needed to do. He served with them. I say this to those even that just came on elder team and deacons this past uh, two weeks ago as we had our elections here. 
My personal conviction for myself, and Beth will testify to this, is that anyone in leadership here, we follow the same policies that we're asking everyone else in this church to follow. If we want to use a building, we use a building form. If we expect people to serve, as long as we are able to with schedule, we serve. There's nothing below us. We are not there to bark commands. We're there to serve alongside of our people. That makes for effective leadership. When nothing is below us and we're willing to serve side by side. The opposite of it is isolation. And, and I don't have a lot of time to get into this, but isolation, if you see it in the Bible, it's not a good thing. David, if you know the, the whole story of him and Bathsheba, it starts off, it says, in the springtime, when all kings go to war, David was hanging out in his porch. Sees a woman bathing and the rest is not good. He was isolated from where he was supposed to be. Elijah, after he has this great, you know, battle and fire falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice and he declares, you know, God to be the God of Israel. Next thing you know, he's off in a cave wishing he was dead. Isolation is not healthy for a leader. You don't pull away. You stay with the people that you are leading. From time to time, You'll have to lead. You're going to have to set a tone. You're going to have to be a model. But don't stay there. Be with your people and do exactly what you're asking them to do. Um, uh, there was a story a couple of years ago. Uh, some of you may know the comedian Steve Harvey. Um, he's he got 800 shows on television. And there was a note that made the circuits uh, on social media, and it made the news and all this. Uh, he was coming back to film his talk show, and he had put a note up on his door. And I know you can't read this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight a few of the things he said. This is on his dressing room door as all of his staff, all of his employees are coming back to serve. He said this, uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome back. I'd like you all to review and adhere to the following notes and rules for season five of my talk show. There will be no meetings in my dressing room. No stopping by or popping in, capital words, no one. Uh, do not come to my dressing room unless you are invited. Do not open my dressing room door. If you open my door, expect to be removed. He goes on and on. I promise you, I will not entertain you in the hallway. And do not attempt to walk with me. If you're reading this, yes, I mean you. That's the type of person I want to work for. Let me tell you right there. But we see this happen. And I hope we're not guilty of this if we've been given a position of leadership where don't bother me. Don't bother me. I don't have time for you. Do you know who I am? Okay? Nehemiah was not this way. Verse 17, I want to go on. Uh, verse 17 and 18 we continue to see the character of Nehemiah. He says, moreover, there were at my table, catch this, on top of everything he's already told us, at my table, 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. We're talking wine in church. Oh, my goodness. Uh, here's the point with this. At his expense, every day, 150-plus people he was feeding. Why? Fear of God and not to be a burden to his people. This is great leadership. 
This is one that was looking to take care of people the best that he was possibly able to and also go light on those who could do very little. He did not want to be a burden as a leader. He put them before himself. And that brings us to this third quality of a good leader. Good leaders focus on mission, what they're trying to accomplish, what is important to get it accomplished, rather than the perks. And this is a hard one. Rather than the perks... Nehemiah was laser-focused on wall-building. He was not concerned about the 40 shekels of silver that we heard about earlier that he could have been demanding from his people. Hey, all the previous governors got 40 shekels of silver, silver a day. Cough it up, people. He could have. A precedent was set. But he's not. In fact, he's shelling out more money, feeding a whole bunch of people that are helping with the wall, He's seeking not to be a burden to the people. He was focused on, we got to get the job done. And if it comes at my expense, my comfort, so be it. The perks did not mean a lot to him. I see people in leadership, church, political, etc., who flaunt the perks. Sometimes the perks is a title. I've known those, uh, and listen, I know getting your doctorate is hard work. I know getting... The title reverend is hard work. I know getting the title, you name it, any CEO, it's not easy to get those positions. They aren't just handing them out. But I've seen some who have flaunted that title and are offended if you dare not use that title when you address them. I get it was hard work. I get it. But that's where, again, are you separating yourself by a title? Uh, this is, uh, you know, I've seen that happen. Um, I've seen also where the perks of power come into play. I remember hearing a story about a middle school pastor. Uh, he uh, had just joined a church on staff. There was a high school pastor that he answered to. They had taken a whole bunch of students to a camp uh, for a week, and they were on a bus. They drove this bus to a Sonic. There's 100 campers on it, and they're going to Sonic. That was not a good decision, number one. Because Sonic isn't ready for that. And on top of this, all the kids get off. It is total chaos. The middle school pastor's there trying to figure out, what do I do? How on earth, what, you know, what's going on? Then he hears a voice yelling at him, hey, get all of them organized. Get them their food. And he looks over, and there's the high school pastor with his wife sitting at the table. They were the first ones in line sitting there eating food, barking at the middle school pastor to do the work because he was the high school pastor. That's what I'm talking about, perks over mission. When you live for all the great titles and all the accolades and all of that, then you've forgotten that you've only been put in a position of leadership for a temporary time. It's a gift from God. The perks are not as important as the mission. There's a book called Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. He's a leadership business writer, and he talks about this, uh, the fact that leaders in the military oftentimes, sometimes are the ones who eat last. They make sure their men eat first, and then they get to eat. And he says this in this book, the true price of leadership is the willingness to place the needs of others above your own. Great leaders truly care about those they are privileged to lead and understand that the true cost of the leadership privilege comes at the expense of self-interest. They are willing to set aside all the comforts, 
all the banquets, all the, the power and all of that to lead their people and to put them first. Frankly, a trustworthy leader puts skin in the game. If they're willing to put their own money, their own effort, their own time, then they're a trustworthy leader and one worth following. As I was reading through this quote this past week, a passage of scripture came to mind, and I'm going to read it. I'm not going to have it on the screen, but did Jesus act in the way that Nehemiah did? Yes. Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8 says this, let each of you look not only to your own interests, you got to look out for yourself and take care of yourself, but also to the interests of others. You need to consider other people's feelings and thoughts. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, by the way, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus could have stayed in heaven to try to accomplish our redemption, and he did not. He came close. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. Not only that, he didn't have a house to his name. Could have, you know, done something about that. He could have rolled with the rich and the famous of the day. He did not. All of this to say this. Jesus sacrificed much. He didn't care about the perks. He cared about the mission. And that was the salvation of all humanity, you and me. And he was the example of godly sacrifice and godly leadership that we need to attain to live ourselves, whether we're leading at home, leading a project at work, leading in our school, whatever God gives us, we want to be effective in that. So as we wrap up, I'm going to say this. When you are given responsibility to lead children, to lead people at your job, to lead coworkers, to lead a Bible study, when you are given that responsibility, do the people who know you well that you're going to lead groan? Or do they praise God? Do they go, oh, no, they're in charge? Well, I feel that flu coming on. Job transfer, whatever it is. Or do they rejoice because you model the leadership that Christ modeled that we also see in Nehemiah? Do they groan or do they rejoice? Do they feel that you see them and you value them? And do they see the humility of Jesus in you? My challenge for all of us this morning this, is this. Leading by character gains influence. Leading by character gains influence. Uh, you are, let me say this. Time does not guarantee influence. You could be at a job for 20 years in a position of, of leadership and have people who still despise you after 20 years and aren't going to listen to you. Power doesn't guarantee influence. Well, I've been given the title, therefore, obviously, everyone's going to look to me for, for direction, you know, like we look to all of our politicians for direction, right? All of them. Every single one of them you all look to. Wait on bated breath. Time doesn't guarantee it. 
Position doesn't guarantee it. All of these things lead us to this, that sometimes you just have to lead with character and over time gain influence with that. Some people will catch on sooner rather than others. Or rather, you know, some will catch on later. Some may never catch on, and you may lose them. Nehemiah was at risk of losing people, and he was okay with it. He wanted the right people on mission. Sometimes we have to be okay with losing a few that may not follow our lead because that's what leadership does. They care for people, but they know they're not going to win everyone. For those that follow leaders, let me say this. Do your best to support leadership, to encourage leadership. When you see them do something small, encourage them. Because it's easy to scrutinize. It's easy to scrutinize what you don't agree with or what you don't like or what they're not doing right because you obviously do it so much better all the time. We are in a day and an age of scrutinizing leaders we support the ones that we agree with, and we, it's like they can do nothing wrong, or we minimize what they do wrong. And those that we don't agree with, we tear, we tear them apart for all the flaws that they do, whether they stutter on a word or anything, and we just rip them apart. That's not what the church does. That's what the world does. And the church is looking a lot like the world. We better do differently. Because Jesus did differently. Because the Bible wants us to be different than the world around us. Let's start with how we lead and how we follow leadership. Jesus was a perfect example for us all. And I hope we glean on that. As we get ready to enter into the season of Easter and we think about his death and so on, keep that in mind of the model he set for us. That we too have an opportunity to model. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for just all the wealth of stuff I know that I got out of this chapter. Wow. Uh, and Lord, for those that are in leadership here, not just at the church, but leadership in the school, leadership in, in uh, their job, leadership in their home, all of that, Lord, help us to rise up boldly to the opportunity that you have given us in leadership. And God, may we lead with courage, lead with self-sacrifice, May we lead and, and be on the lookout for the people that we are leading and that we would serve side by side rather than being all about the titles and the power and the paycheck. All of those things, Lord, remind us of the mission that we're on. Remind us of what the whole point is because leadership and title and perks and all that is going to be gone one day. It's going to be gone. But what we invest in people will remain Give us the humility of Christ. Help us to strive for the humility of Christ, even as we leave this place and how we serve one another. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer request into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.